0: welcome to Blink of an Eye, where we interview thought leaders and deep thinkers on trauma healing wisdom, both ancient and modern. As we learn together with experts from around the world, we also engage in captivating relational conversations with spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in our Dear Louise series. Out of one mom's trauma to integration story, Blink of an Eye brings you a collection of unparalleled and diverse views as we take you on an inspiring and unvarnished look at the true nature of trauma in all our lives. Today's episode is part of our Dear Louise series, where I have the joy of conversing with extraordinary individuals living with spinal cord injury, who both embrace and defy their physical limitations as entrepreneurs, trailblazers, tastemakers, and innovators. Join us as we explore what is possible in spinal cord injury. This episode is sponsored by Blink of an Eye Nonprofit and by Baltimore Mediation. our next guest has witnessed the trauma-to-resiliency integration journey of many injured athletes as they reclaim their lives in winter sports. He founded the High Fives Nonprofit Foundation in Truckee, California, which empowers athletes to return to the winter sports they love after experiencing accidents, leaving them paralyzed in the blink of an eye. Join us as we get to know Roy Tuscany and his journey and why he chose to pay it forward. Well, I am blessed to introduce you to Roy Tuscany. Originally from Waterbury, Vermont, Roy graduated from the University of Vermont with a mechanical engineering degree before pursuing his dream of becoming a professional free skier. Out west, He was known for big air, speed, and style on the slopes. And as a freestyle skiing coach at Sugar Bowl Academy near Lake Tahoe, California, and with support from numerous sponsors, Roy was beginning to realize the dream of becoming a professional skier. Until, in 2004, his life changed in the blink of an eye. He took a piece of bad ice on a ski jump And as he crashed to the ground, he was paralyzed from the waist down. This fearless, positive man later created the High Fives Nonprofit Foundation, transforming the support he received during his own recovery because he wanted to pay it forward and help other disabled athletes get back to the winter sports they love. He received the Spirit Inspires Award from Disabled Sports USA in 2011 and once held the world record for the most high fives in a 24 hour period. Roy now resides in Reno, Nevada with his partner, Alana Nichols, and their son Gunner. He embraces the joy of biking, skiing, surfing, and all outdoor activities. Welcome, Roy.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, It's such a pleasure to be here with you. What a warm, beautiful intro you just gave me. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) You are so welcome and so well-deserved. I'm just so inspired by you. I mean, I think about your background, even from filmmaking, but skier, you know, entrepreneur dad, I'm wondering how you view the Roy Tuscany on the inside. I mean, what's the essence of Roy Tuscany?
1: I heard this lyric in a little Wayne song, actually, a couple weeks ago that talks about a traumatic moment in his life where he almost died, and uh, he said he talked to God, and God in him spoke and said he sold him a second life, and God made a profit. And you think about that in a way that's you know two terms. Like, God got a profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, because that individual was still a part of the world and giving back. But then that individual became a prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, and they are acting in the form of God and giving back in that way. Mm. And I think that to me is is really, you know, the essence of who I am. Am I a perfect person? No, not at all. But what I do know is that I had a purpose as to why that day when it happened, that I didn't lose my life. And from that, you know, I had a, a simple calling to, you know, what I needed to do with the second life, the profit that God made on giving me a second chance. And, you know, I, I took that as the opportunity to give back to those that are underserved and a community that I didn't know much about when I got hurt, but a community now that is so near and dear to my heart that it's a part of my essence and who I am and why I want to be an advocate for it. And I think that's something that, you know, people say all the time, you know, you're an inspiration, you're a hero of these things. I want the term advocate. And I think that's really the term I want, you know, everyone to hear that I want yeah, as an advocate for the adaptive community, those that have sustained these life-changing injuries, those that were born with these life-changing injuries to get them in the forefront. You know, it's just a part of life and how we live it and how we choose to live. it. That's the essence of me.
0: Mm, thank you for that. Uh, the prophet and the advocate. You mentioned, you know, this injury. Are you willing to talk about Uh, it? Um, How you were injured, your level of injury, how it happened?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I was a aspiring pro skier down in Mammoth. I'd been there two weeks prior coaching for the Sugar Bowl Academy with a group of athletes that I was responsible for. And two weeks later came down there and I did the thing that I was harping to them, you know, speed check, know your jumps, go through the park. Don't try to, you know, impress right out of the gate. You know, I was in a, probably a bad headspace at the time. And, you know, as I approached, I had one thing, Ah, oh, I already hit this jump. I know what I'm doing, you know, talking to ego. And when we talk ego, you know, ego is fear and fear is what happened. You know, I was afraid that I wasn't, I didn't need to do the things that I was telling everybody else. You know, that was the fear. I was, I was bigger than that. That was my ego coming into play. And unfortunately, you know, I overshot that jump. I went 130 feet on a 100-foot jump. I came down from 30 feet in the air. And the result impact into the snow burst fractured by T12 vertebrae. And when I hit the ground, I instantaneously lost all sensation, feeling, and motion from the belly button. And I also cut my thumb. And, uh, I sliced my thumb ever so slightly. It's like ever so slightly right there, and blood was spewing everywhere. Yeah, I'm looking at, and, uh, uh,
0: at Roy's thumb right now with a little bit of a scar still there.
1: There's blood everywhere. So when I came to it, I couldn't feel my legs. There's blood everywhere. The first thought I had was my legs went through my body. I knew how hard I hit the ground. I mean, I absolutely destroyed what? myself. You know, that was that moment where you had that conversation. And, um, uh, I came back and, um, you know, I'm lucky that I did and, uh, I'm so blessed. I think that's like the reason as to why I pour my heart into the work that I do. It's cause I just understand the impact of how impactful my impact was and now impactful I can leave an impact on this world.
0: Mm, you spend a lot of, um, time and thoughtfulness on words and their meaning, their deep meaning. And you also mentioned that you had this talk. Did you hear God? Did you feel like you encountered God in that moment? You
1: know?: I had this moment, so I realized that I'm in a amount of trouble. I reached into my pocket, I grabbed my cell phone. I called the highest-ranking individual with the academy at the time, a guy by the name of Jim Hudson. I explained to him quickly what happened as I'm in an immense amount of pain. In that time, Jim being the individual, he gets individuals that are, you know, with the group to go locate me. He gets ski patrol there. And from there, all of a sudden I go into a black space that I remember. And then the next thing is this amount of rush that came when the patrol put an air mask on my face. And almost as if my body was like floating above, this is so wild, I talk about it very rarely, but like. Hit, call, blackout. I get this vantage point of everything happening from above, and then Mm -hmm. air mask, (sighs) eyes open, look at everyone looking at.
0: I have goosebumps.
1: Is the only way I've ever explained the look I saw was when I was a young kid. I saw a dog get hit. And the way the family's face looked when that dog got hit. And I know that's a terrible analogy, but the face that I saw that day was on every single person when my eyes reopened, the patrol, my friends out were there. It was this literal look of like, I, I thought they were like, holy shit, he's not dead.
0: Yeah. Disbelief and relief.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really think there was like a full conversation, but gosh, I'll tell you what, like, if there's a God, I think his name's Jim Hudson.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you think Jim Hudson is God? Is there anybody bigger than that in that moment? There's a lot of
1: cowboys. So a little (laughs) side story on Jim Hudson. Jim Hudson was the national brand manager for U.S. smokeless tobacco in its heyday. And his job was literally sponsoring cowboys and rodeo clowns. And so I ended up getting to go. This is now fast forward a little bit. I got hurt, got flown to Reno, rehab, blah, blah, blah. We can go back to there. But Jim Hudson gets me out for my first outing during the Reno rodeo, which is the second largest rodeo in the world, the second richest rodeo in the world. I mean, it is the most hoot hauler of the best time of your life. We get the private box. I'm sitting with Jim. And every cowboy, every rodeo clown, and then all of these like established cowboys all come up and are like, Jim Hudson, like, thank you. And I'm like, I feel the same way. I don't chew tobacco, but like, I feel the same way. (laughs) Yeah, right. So
0: everybody grateful to Jim. (laughs) And it's wild because
1: he is the definition of Eminem. Um, He's got a candy shell about that thick. And then once you get past it, whatever rich center of an M, you love the buff. That's
0: what he is. <laughs> what a beautiful analogy for a a little hard exterior, but you also are showing me with your fingers a few inches <laughs> yeah. of a pretty tough, hard exterior and then something really yeah. sweet and soft on the inside. Yeah, how beautiful and tasty. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that uh, that Jim Hudson was there for you. Maybe we uh, we lift our glasses yeah. today to all those who do respond to these moments. Gosh, well, you know, here you founded High Fives Foundation. I want to talk to you about that. I'm really excited to hear more about it myself, but also for our listeners to understand the importance of these miraculous moments of being able to live again and begin again after such catastrophic injuries. And then what actually can be transformed? And you are, in my eyes, a living example of that. So where do we start? Whether it's, you know, if you want to go back to part of that recovery or then starting uh, the foundation, yeah. you start. Where well, you we'll keep
1: just doing these things. I love full circle stories. So we spoke about Jim Hudson. Jim Hudson is one of three brothers. His other brother is named Bill. And Bill Hudson at the time was the executive director of the academy I was working for. And he was also there the day I got hurt.
0: Um, So as I get loaded into
1: the ambulance, he grabs my hand and says, Roy, everything's going to be okay. We'll figure this out. And I took him word for word there. Now, we'll fast forward a little more. Uh, 14 years of existence of the High Fives Foundation. Bill Hudson is one of two still existing founding board members that are still active board members of the organization. And that promise Bill made for me that day, Bill got right into action and set up. An umbrella fund underneath the Sugar Bowl Academy nonprofit license that was called Roy's Recovery Fund, and that format that he used was the initial format of how we built the initial policies, procedures, and structures of High Fives Foundation. And so, in 2009, after Mm -hmm. some years of recovery and many battles, 2009 High Fives was created with the idea to support one individual that gets hurt in the winter sports. And we provide them with up to $25,000 of funding. And so in the first year, we did that, got an individual hurt skiing, a guy by the name of Steve Wallace. And then from there, the foundation got him back to skiing. And then long-term, Steve worked for the foundation for a period of time. But that initial kickoff was the catalyst to this incredible growth that was almost completely unattainable because regardless of how much we tried to prepare, we were growing at a rate like this. And High Fives was built off the idea of helping one individual in one year. And then we saw that impact. And from there, we started to help more. And now 14 years later, we've helped 700 individuals with life-changing injuries, return to the sports they love, get through the recovery, Mm -hmm. and also get reconnected to community, which is the most important thing that we do within the foundation. Now, are we perfect in all those places? No, but that's the impact that we leave on an individual when they've had a life-changing injury. And, um, you know, we've gotten to do it nearly 700 times, 25% of those being veterans. Um, we have an incredible veterans program that was built off of that, but this whole idea was built off of, you know, how bill Hudson set up this fund for me. And and from that, it it provided the opportunity for me to have a a structure for high fives. And all these years later, now we're doing some pretty incredible things. You know, it's like, I think all the time, like if high fives ended tomorrow, just for some reason regardless if it didn't continue, what about all the things we did for all these individuals that would have never had that? And that to me is like, that to me is success. And like, I think a lot of people see success in dollar signs and like, I can show you success in number of adaptive equipment pieces that have been donated to individuals that have reconnected them to people, that have reconnected them to their community, that's reconnected them to, you know, it's like you throw that rock out, out in the water. It's like, how many ripples can you create?
0: Yeah, the ripple effect. Yeah, it's really amazing to come back to anyone's life and how it can inspire those ripple effects. And people... That connection that you are so passionate about and just spoke about, it really started with a connecting to you, right? So many people were wanting to help Roy. and I think that's really what we do as human beings. You know there's some kind of connection or a friend or a friend of a friend or we heard about it. And we want to get involved with that person yeah. and then that person being able to really launch into you know 700 other lives and and frankly, Gosh, you know what a lot of the spinal cord injury research and statistics will tell us is that any one spinal cord injured person who is impacted adversely or positively is going to be impacting 7 to 10 others in their immediate sphere of living. Now that's powerful, (laughs) right? Think about your 700. Yeah, that's a powerful way of looking at numbers and impact.
1: I use the term force multiplying, so that, that would be the term that I would use there to really magnify mm-hmm. the... Mm-hmm. But it can also go the other way too, as you mentioned.
0: It can go the other way.
1: That's the one that's really tricky, is how can you help an individual go from here to here? And I think that's that reconnection to community. We use the term athlete at high fives to talk about the individuals we support. Now, are they professional? Some are. Are some of them semi-professional? Yeah. But some of them are just individuals that got hurt doing something they love. And so we use the term athlete instead of awardee, recipient, grantee, because it reestablishes an identity to someone that has lost their identity. Yeah, identity. And I think, you know, there's some key factors that we do. One is establishing an identity through the term athlete. Two is finding a sport within a vertical that has these natural communities, mountain biking, skiing, snowboarding, surfing, fishing, off-road sports. And if you use those five, the natural like groups of individuals with no disability or whatever are huge. So now if you connect an individual in there, giving them the tools and how to do it safely and, and giving them a community, you're now reestablishing an identity within a community and you're giving someone worth. And to me, that's the whole idea. And not to talk too biblical, but like, there's this idea that an individual sat by the pools of aesthetics. Oh my God, I'm so bad at saying the word. Bethesda. Thank you. It's in Maryland too. And, um, you know, he sat there for years watching so many people go to the water and saying, I'm not worthy to touch the water because there's so many others that, you know, have Things that are worse than me, and then finally one day uh, an individual walked by and just said, "Why don't you just get up and go and just do it?" And that idea right there is this idea that I use in a such simpler form, which is showing up. And the person I walked by, the guy was Jesus. And as the guy walked into the water, you know, he got cured from his ailments, but he just had to show up. And that's really all we ask of the individuals we show up is the individuals we support is just show up. We will take care of everything else but we need you to show up. And I think that's like the biggest takeaway from that story as well. And, and why we use this whole concept of like athlete community worth is because if you show up, we will help you on a path that I believe, you know, has a pretty good track record of success. And I, I think that's something that people need when you have these life-changing injuries. They're called life-changing injuries for a reason. Your life just changed. So if you keep trying to live the life the way you were, well, guess what? You're going to keep running into this wall that is not possible to go through.
0: Yeah, very powerful truism. It might take years or decades for some who have had their lives changed to receive or accept. You know, this part of showing up, I have another friend, if you will, who's a friend of yours, too, Austin Price. Love him. And I understand, love him, too, that you showed up for him pretty early on in his injury. And I'm curious if that's something that you do for others and why you did that.
1: You know, I'll tell you why. I got hurt. And when I got hurt, everybody that visited me was my friends. And, you know, they're super encouraging. My family, super encouraging. But I wanted to meet someone that had experienced something that I had. So I could just ask some real questions to get some real answers. For weeks on end, they had said this individual is coming. And I really look forward to it. And it turned out to be a guy that was very similar to my injury, had gotten hurt in a motorcycle accident, but then later went on to big success as a para-ski athlete in a sit-ski. He came in and he could kind of walk kind of like I could at the time. And he told me all these things that I, had look, that I could look forward to, which was, you know, I could get as drunk as I want because I'd be in a wheelchair and I would four points of contact. I could, you know, slap girls' butts in the bar because I was at the height and no one gets mad at a guy in a wheelchair. And I could puke on myself and people would clean it up because they felt sorry for me. And I remember in that moment being like, holy shit, like, this is what I have to look forward to? No.
0: (laughs) We'll pause now in support of our sponsors who support Blink of an Eye. We'll be right back.
2: Blink of an Eye Nonprofit is filling a gap nationwide in response to spinal cord injury trauma for families in the first hours and days of injury. With fewer than 20 hospitals in the country having SCI expertise, Blink of an Eye has navigators who themselves have been there as SCI survivors and who are trained in relational approaches to trauma who are available 24-7 to support families, empowering them on their journeys, navigating their lives, and interacting with medical staff for the first 30 days. The nonprofit's mission is to transform the SCI crisis experience into an extraordinary one, despite the devastation. When you learn of a newly injured SCI family, call Blink of an Eye on their toll-free number, 1-844-41-BLINK. You can also learn more and get involved with Blink of an Eye at www.blinkofaneye.org.
3: Blink of an Eye is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Since 1993, Baltimore Mediation has been leading the way in a relational approach to conflict and problem solving. They are national leaders in teaching and providing fully immersive and experiential online training in mediation and conflict transformation skills. Register for the next course at www.baltimoremediation.com. The quality of your interactions at work, at home, and in your daily life will be transformed, and you will create more well being for yourself. And others. Better process, better outcome. Baltimore Mediation.
0: And now, back to the show.
1: And, you know, like I could have taken his advice too, being like, all right, well, this is what this guy told me to do. Like, probably do it. That wasn't the case. And um, I took everything that he's told me and went the opposite direction of that. And so when I get the opportunity to meet with individuals that have sustained, you know, spinal cord injuries in a place in their most vulnerable place, it allows me to hopefully shine a light of hope and not a line of whatever that individual gave to me. And I think that's really why I do it time and time again. Because if that was the advice that was given to me, and maybe everybody took it, well, then damn it, that's not good. And so I want to make sure that advice isn't given. Yeah. You know, Austin's a testament to like. The whole idea of what we do. And I've literally watched my relationship transform with him. My initial reaction to Austin was, I'm scared of you, bro. You got tattoos on your hand. And I got tattoos too, you know. But like Austin is a tattooed-up dude. He's part of motorcycle club. You can think whatever you want, but if you really think of what a motorcycle club is, it's the same thing as uncles in, in the Hawaiian Islands. They're there to protect the way of the people. And in Hawaii, they're seen as the most respected individuals. It's like, uncle, 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 you know, but in America, you know, there's been some bad apples with some motorcycle clubs. And unfortunately that stews over to a stereotype and I'll admit it, man. I was scared of Austin, but my initial fear of getting over that. And I just went up to him and he's the most soft spoken, like sweetest dude you ever met in your life. And then from there, I just, yeah. you know, i just, all i wanted to do is empower him. And, you know, Austin's training here at the facility, you know, three days a week, Austin's at every single opportunity at camps and hangouts that we put together with other individuals. And he is a individual that really just is like transformational, not only emotional, spiritual, mentally, but also physically. The dude is half the human when I met him to where he is now. And so I, I really, you know, love yeah, the fact cool. that, you know, people are like, well, it's so tough when you have one of these and you no longer can exercise and, you know, eat right. And it's like, oh, Austin's a testament that you can. I mean, the guy's half the size when I met him and he's half the size in the most healthiest way possible and watching him transform. But yeah, the initial, yeah. like that initial, like after I met him, I was so worried. I was like, you're like wild. Like thought he's the most soft-spoken, sweetest human I've ever met.
0: It's so powerful, the shifts in our lives that can happen. These little, truly like blink of an eye in the other direction, just little micro shifts that take your breath away. You know, like, I'm scared of this dude. And then I realized, oh my gosh, he's just like the mildest, kindest, sweetest guy. And he shrunk, you know, essentially from his injury in a really positive way, taking care of himself. But I also am familiar with his story that you befriended him in a way when he was down. So you have to take all those shifting moments and then coming bedside to him, you know, saying, Keep on going. Yeah. And there's another way. Another example of the problem. You
1: know. <laughs> My buddy you one know? time told me that I'm a real life Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is funny, but you know, like it, it, it is what it is. And it's just me showing up for those in a way that I wish I would have gotten showed up for. And not to say I didn't, you know, I have so uh-huh. many positives, but there is that one that the initial mentor was definitely not a mentor that I, I really wanted to follow. Yeah,
0: It's also an example, at least a potential example of someone who is still trapped in uh, their own trauma. So that the way to move through life is tough and even belittling or undercutting one's own value uh, and just sort of keeping it like laughing at where there's so much richness that can be had with a look back to then make some sense of and integrate the experience. And you had some body wisdom telling you that you were recoiling from that a bit, right? And then you kind of said, that's not how I'm going to be, which is a head thought.
1: Yeah.
0: And you put it into action, you know, with your heart. I
1: mean, I've also been also taken the bad advice too. And now you're just looking back, you really look at, there's both sides of the things. You can reject it at first and see the growth from it, or you can experience it for a period of time. And then really reap the benefits after getting out of that idea of being trapped. And yeah. I like that word trap because it, it really speaks to it in, in all things. You can be trapped physically, mentally, emotionally, and socially. Yeah. And when that happens, where do you look? And I mean, you can only look up. And if you, if you look down, man, you're going to look at feet that don't want to work. So you ain't going anywhere. So let, let's look up because I mean, that was the only place I could look at that time.
0: Yes, yeah, beautiful. You know, it's something about being trapped. You mentioned something earlier that I'd like to explore, which is, and I suspect this happens for anyone who has been tragically injured, where you truly have your life changed. And that is where you can get trapped in, uh, I'm going to do what I did before and the same as I was before. And those those are some really salient, important points to move you forward. But there's actually something that you spoke about. You can get trapped in that, realizing there's a whole new now. Can we talk about that? I think there are a lot of listeners could really resonate with that and family members and friends of those who are injured who might really resonate with that. Loving someone, but seeing them trapped Mm -hmm. in their own belief system of how they were before.
1: First off, like the best piece of advice to give to anybody in these types of situations from the outside looking into that individual is to lead with curiosity and don't lead with any type of accusation as in like, you should be doing this or why aren't you doing that? And it should be led from a place of, hey, we're concerned that this is a cycle that we're seeing and we're wondering if we could give you some help. And I think that's always the way that, you know, first needs to be approached because, you know, everything has changed. And I think one of the things that so many people don't realize is that you can't start pushing play on life again until you realize that there is not a rewind button. And once you realize that Mm -hmm. you can't hit rewind, then you can actually start living forward. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that so many folks struggle with in the initial time being like, well, what if I, Wait, if I would have, fine. I mean, until Doc Brown figures out how to turn that DeLorean truly into 88 miles an hour to go backwards in time, we don't have that option. And so the idea of trying to hit rewind needs to be deleted. And once we can hit play, we can start living forward. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that I I love to try to give to people. But you also have to be with someone that's ready to accept that information.
0: I was just thinking the same thing. Timing is
1: everything. And you can tell.
0: Yeah. So you can't just try or be curious once, right? It's an ongoing conversation. I, I
1: love people that are like, I did acupuncture once. It didn't work. I'm like, all right, valid point. Uh, when you get a prescription drug, do you take, I don't know, every day for 365 days? And does that work? Oh, well, it doesn't always work. Oh, but you take it once a day for 365 days. You want to try to do an acupuncture? Like, I don't know, a dozen times over the next three weeks and see if it does anything. They're like, well, it should have worked the first time. I was like, yep, just like the pill. You can have that conversation at the right time with someone if they're ready and willing to have it. But if they're not, then you're just literally like pounding your head up against the wall. And I mean, no one likes doing that. That's not fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that uh, timing is such a big part of trauma intervention and that mindset of coming not only with curiosity and also just with compassion, because that's really, I feel you, you know, you feel me. It's this quality that the body cellularly responds to at, for trauma healing. And and only then does sort of the mind and the heart follow. But there has to be a real safety of not feeling um, that you're letting somebody down or you're being judged. And we all fall into that trap. I know I have. I I've, I've fallen, I've been the one who pushed, <laughs> you know, all the above. And it's been one of the, the real learnings in this new world of working with anyone who's had a catastrophic life yeah. injury. You know, I'm wondering with all the experience with the High Fives Foundation, your observations of how other athletes you have observed have worked through their traumas to resilience.
1: There's this idea that lies in a three-word phrase called post-traumatic growth. We kind of spoke about it earlier where an individual can go on one side or the other side of good or bad and the impact that it has on seven to 10 people and then the ripple effect from there. I also think that's true from the idea that there's a small percentage of individuals that are within a very small circle of like a a very simple life and not to say that that life isn't, it's not giving or anything like that, but it's very simple. And then they have an injury like this and all of a sudden they become almost legendary. And there's one person in mind that comes to mind. His name's Trevor Kennison. Uh, He was a plumber in Vail, broke his back on a jump on a snowboard six years later from his injury. He comes back and he stomps the first ever double backflip in a, in a sit ski. And then he's gone on to do things that are even more miraculous than that. There's a documentary coming out, um, will be released um, this fall. It's called Full Circle. It's been at some film festivals. It's incredible. It tells his story alongside the story of an individual that is exactly like Trevor, that is kind of the first ever documented idea of post-traumatic growth, a guy by the name of Barry Corbett. And Barry did what Trevor did. He set off all these firsts in the adaptive community and really set a precedent for others to follow. And I think post-traumatic growth yeah. is, is something that we wish could happen to everybody, but it can't because then it, it's not a phenomenon. It's just a part of the recovery story. But when it happens and you tap into those individuals and you see the impact that they have, that seven to 10 number is, is more likely around 700,000 to a million or more. And, and Trevor's one of, of many stories that have happened. And so that's also the thing that I think is so incredible is that when it does happen and you can see it and you can tell the story and you can share that story with others, it really gives someone the idea that, hey, if I'm in this deadbeat this or deadbeat that, I don't have a traumatic injury that includes the barrier that I need to enter. I just have a current deadbeat current situation in my life. I have working limbs and working legs and head and heart. And so if you see someone that, you know, has been almost cut in half, as in the ability for Trevor, Trevor is a T12, slightly incomplete, complete individual spinal cord injury that uses a wheelchair. And so if Trevor can have this post-traumatic growth in a time where you could, yeah, Trevor even says that he's half he's the man he was before, well, then why can't anybody else fully the man they, man or woman that they are now? You know? And I, I think that's really those amazing things that when people are looking for that ability to grow as an individual, it's, okay, let's look at someone that's doing it in the same way that I want to grow, but they're doing it in a way that is so much harder because they have this physical limitation that is providing them with catalysts to kickstart why they're doing this post-traumatic growth. But they're also doing it in a way that should be so much harder than everybody else
0: is doing it. Yeah, I just love the exponential quality of anyone who is experiencing and demonstrating and living out post-traumatic growth because it's within reach, right, of of any of us. You know, in many ways, no human being can escape trauma. Yes. Uh, Now, a handful of human beings have the life experience of having their arms or limbs taken from them through paralysis and injury, but it's really quite a feat to think about what is possible and what the human spirit is possible. I think it's part of pain at forward yeah. too. I know the pain of forward has been something important for you. It's been important for me too. I think it's a healing response, really a trauma healing response. But how about for you?
1: I think, like you know, at the end of the day. The idea of paying it forward is just built on this concept that other individuals would sustain the the same injuries that I had. And I was lucky that I came from some really cool tight knit communities that gave me the opportunity to make really awesome relationships in a quick amount of time to build the trust with folks that as my life flipped 180 degrees, they wanted to find a way to get me back to, you know, a bare magic, true north. And without them, you know, who knows? But the thing I do know is that not everybody comes from tight-knit communities. As you mentioned, there's trauma that creates the loss of connection with some folks. And so if that exists, that doesn't...
0: Yeah, it creates isolation.
1: That doesn't mean you should not get supported. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Is how do we support those that you know, or underserved. I was supported in a great way. And I recognized that. And it gave me the opportunity to then, you know, think of the idea of like, what does paying it forward look like for those that helped me? Well, why not create what they did for me for a larger group of people that could benefit it um, across the country? You know, was that my plan? No, I went to school to be a mechanical engineer with a mathematic background. I was lucky enough to learn how to build relationships through two parents that. had two different styles. And I think I blended those. My dad always showed up and my mom was charismatic. And I think that's a really big thing that, you know, I gained from both of my parents is a charismatic, high energy, but of an individual that is really always going to show up if he says he will. And I think those are the traits that I think Mm -hmm. are really things that make it fun doing what I do to help others and and pay it forward.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like you have found your. Place in the world and your value, and this quality of the community. You've come back to that and referencing a few times the other side of isolation. I think uh, even those who have community might shrivel, even being surrounded by community, if they're not ready to receive. And so for all of us to still keep reaching in and, and reaching out and back, it's a hard road for so many who have experienced these blink-of-an-eye moments that are life-altering. I just love what High Fives is doing. It really it reminds me, while your nonprofit and ours are doing very different things, we're on the front end of creating extraordinary experiences for those in crisis, like within hours of injury in the first 30 days. It's this belief in the potential of post-traumatic growth. And we're all growing. We're all changing at any given time, aren't we? And I mean, you never know what's ahead of us. The other
1: thing too is like, you can either face it now or you can face it in the instant that it happens, but we're all getting disabled. And I think that's something that Mm. a lot of people don't understand. And it just happens to some of us faster. And it happens to some of us in the blink of an eye. And at the same time, that's why I'm such a big advocate for it. because. If you go to other countries, Japan, for example, and and what the brand Toyota is doing for individuals with disabilities, they're putting those at the forefront of everything they're doing. Japan takes care of their elderly and disabled in a way that shows heart and empathy first. I just got back from Costa Rica where they literally will break anything, uh, any bone in their body to make sure that anybody has the opportunity even if it's the most least accessible place possible to get access and the day we get back to the america we're just instantly met with this just like all right that's why i need to advocate more because until then it's like people don't understand this is a spitting image of where you could be tomorrow this is a spitting image of where you might be 30 years down the road Like. Why don't you start to foster the the care that's needed now so that when it happens to you, you're an expert in the field? That would be my dream.
0: (laughs) I really am resonating uh, as a relational advocate myself, where it is important to advocate for changes in the laws. But indeed, some of the most vital changes for the disability or just differently abled community is in the community. Right, the greater awareness and the stepping aside, and how could I help you? And the gratitude that those are able to walk and use their hands can take that energetic force and make it a value to somebody else who just needs a little lift up a lip, if you will, or or a difficult climb in their chair, or or something they want to reach for, and not out of pity, but more out of like, hey, we're in this, we're in this together. But wow, what a difference we would make as advocates.
1: I made a mistake. I went big on the ski jump. I, I promise I wasn't like, today I want to take away the use of my legs so that it'll make my life and all those around me harder. That, that was not on the agenda that day. And I think that's a big takeaway from like the way I've looked at it and the way I've tried to grow as an individual. It's just like, gosh, it doesn't need to be this hard.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, looking back for you, it's been almost 20 years. And I'm wondering, as Blink of an Eye is focused on trauma and trauma healing, I am curious what insights you have, Roy, as you look back, making sense of things Any insights you have about yourself.
1: I would say one is like, don't be afraid of therapy out of the gate, but like only when you're ready for it. Like, don't waste the time of yourself and that person trying to help you and realize that again, The term life changing injury, like there are things that are happening that are out of your control. And to be able to talk to someone about them, I think is really useful and really helpful. I also think another big takeaway that is also in that realm is like the idea of like being comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think is a big thing. That takes a lot. You're going to find in these initial days and the years to come not easy and you're put into situations that are uncomfortable and if you can be comfortable in there then what can stop you in life nothing the mm. other one is, is stretch I'm trying to tell myself that now stretch you need to do more stretch <laughs> i don't stretch at all but i'm telling you what if i could have told myself to stretch every day for the last whatever years i'd be in a lot better shape so the biggest goal that I wish I could tell myself, is in those areas, just stretch. It'll make your body feel better.
0: So physically stretching.
1: Yeah, physically stretching. That's literally the simplicity of it. Yeah. Just do it every day. I'm going to get there one day. I'm going to get there.
0: Maybe getting some help with having somebody else help stretch you. Yeah. Right? That's also a possibility, too. Yeah. You know, you're a dad. hmm and I'm wondering if you're willing to talk about being a dad. Are you willing to talk about being a yeah, dad? Yeah, my, my little a partner' a
1: man. <laughs> His name's Gunner. He's the, he's the <laughs> coolest dude in the world.
0: <laughs> of course he is. <laughs>
1: His initials are GOAT for greatest of all times.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> Archer would love that. He's an artist with a big goat poster. <laughs> you might have to see a picture of Gunner. He's a portrait artist and be able to put something together. <laughs> the goat. That's so cute. What's it been like with, you know, relationship and a little, how old's Gunner now? Five? He'll be four. Well, he'll he'll be eight.
1: almost four at the end of July.
0: Almost four almost at the end four. of July.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So out of, I guess, the terrible twos, which we all know are the important twos, Moving on with his life, what are you seeing with regard to your life and your post traumatic growth? How does it impact your being a dad and a partner?
1: I think, like, the biggest is this idea that you can learn a whole new aspect of patience. You can also learn a whole new way of being empathetic. And those are all just takeaways. And I think, like, the biggest thing that you really don't realize is, like, the days are long, but the years are short. The more that you can find time to connect, it's so valuable. And, um, you know, I think technology really does actually, I got a win for technology. You know, I, so many people are technology anti this and there are so many things. But the one thing that it allows technology really, and not just with my son, but, you know, with others and like we're doing right now is to stay connected with people and I think like right now my little dude and Elena are down in New Mexico for the next couple of weeks visiting family and we just had a, a cousin her sister just had a little baby on Monday named Eric and they're down there getting the love on him and be a part of that but it's like you know this morning I got to FaceTime with him for 10 minutes and then you know I surprised him by sending him a couple gifts in the mail because I knew I'd be that God and you know, I got videos of him opening it and then the reactions and stuff like that. So I think, like, there are positives in technology and there's one. So being a dad is, mm-hmm. I think, is, like, what I want to transition to full-time somehow. I don't know how, but my dream job would be to like, just be a full-time dad. But I got an amazing partner who's, like, the best full-time mom. Um I think that's what... You know, on top of being an incredible athlete, an ambassador for the adaptive community, former president of the Women's Sports Foundation and so many other accolades. Elena's like Mm -hmm. biggest thing is she's a goddamn amazing mom. That's Mm -hmm. that's like a really cool Mm -hmm. thing to be able to say about someone.
0: Yes, it is. (laughs) It's a really cool thing. To be able to observe someone saying about someone else and just <laughs> receiving that reciprocally. It's really beautiful. <laughs> is that how you all met? Did you meet through this work? Mm-hmm. I met her back in 2010. You and
1: Elena? Mm-hmm. met her in 2010 and then got together in 2018. and We luckily brought little dude Gunner into the world in 2019.
0: <laughs> beautiful. Really beautiful. Well, I'm wondering if there's anything else you would like to tell our listeners about your work with High Fives.
1: From a perspective of high fives is like, you got to see it to experience it, to believe it. And I think like that's outside of like, I can show you impact numbers. I can show you metrics. I can show you all these different ways that we provide support to the community that we serve. But I encourage people to, to reach out and to experience an event, experience a camp, experience any of it. And then you really see the magic that exists um, within this community, which we call an Ohana. That's the Hawaiian for family. And we chose that word because it's the family you choose, not the family you're given. Instead of blood, it's the ones that you keep close to the heart. It's a really important part of who we are and our essence and our metric of our impact and stuff like that. So I encourage people to, to find the time to come out, enjoy and, and hang out.
0: And is High Fives now on both coasts? I know there are a number of events being sponsored on the West Coast. Does it have a presence on the East Coast?
1: Yeah. uh, Massive presence. So I'm originally from Vermont. Uh, We do a lot of events in the New England region specifically. We've got some events coming up in Rhode Island, New York City, Vermont um, in the coming months. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that is happening coastal. And with our recent grand cycle, we're now just shy of 700 athletes from 46 states, including Canada, that we support you know, I think as we grow, our obviously goal is to get to 50 states and provide as much opportunities to those that could benefit from the impact that we provide.
0: Beautiful. And I'm wondering what advice you might have for listeners who might want to get involved in hi fives in addition to coming out and just seeing what it looks like. But let's say they are not able to do that. Is there any other way to be involved?
1: We use the idea of media to really showcase how we provide impact to our community. So we do a lot of stuff on social media. We post a lot to our website. So, you know, following the website, following our social channels. I think also just like providing, we send out three monthly newsletters that just really show you what we're doing kind of throughout the month and leading up to things that are exciting for the foundation. Yeah, just sign up. Like I said, sign up, show up. We'll show you a good time.
0: (laughs) I'd like to explore one more thing, if we might while we still have a little bit more time with each other, this moment of acceptance, or was it a series of moments from being catastrophically injured to moving back into life? Was it immediate? Was it over months? Was it years? Was there an event? What did that moment or so of acceptance look like for you?
1: That's a really great question. And the way it's put, too, is a really great way to ask it as well. So first and foremost, thanks for asking. And I think there's been kind of like some pivotal moments that have happened, and I'm still working towards the idea of worth and acceptance. Um, I think that's something we're all kind of always growing and evolving towards. But there's been some pivotal moments that have happened along the way. One was an individual in Vermont six months after my accident named Wayne Burwell, uh, who's a personal trainer. He's incredible, one of the best humans alive. And he took me under his wing, and just showed me that I was worthy to show up every day to the gym. That gave me the idea that I could get into anywhere I wanted to go. That then led to the relationship with a physical therapist by the name of Lad Williams, who was a Native American that showed me that there's other sides of healing. Than just what's being prescribed by the medical community, as in you know other philosophies from massage, acupuncture, and things that can help the body heal, and also need to happen to allow the body to heal. I then uh, traveled to a really cool transformational program called Landmark, which uh, helped me understand that you know we can look at the past or we can look at what looks forward, and that that really helped me understand how to move forward. Then I found sobriety in 16 from alcohol after struggling for years of actually taking that guy's advice uh, while I was also hiding from his advice. Um, but quit alcohol in 16, and then Elena and meeting her and really having someone that gives me the opportunity to grow. And then Gunner. I think those are my those are my historical timelines of my ability to get to some percentage of acceptance and worth and continually growing along the way is, is a part of the process too. Mm.
0: Thank you so much for that. Gosh, I'm wondering as we close, what's the next chapter for Roy?
1: Um, Next chapter for me is more time with Gunner.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Moving towards being a full-time dad. No,
1: no. I'm I going to keep making sure I provide for this community too. But yeah, I just want to spend more time with Gunner. That, that That's a big part. I've got some really big ideas. We've got some really big places that I think we can take this. I think we also have the support in the community around us that'll give us the opportunity to get there. I think also like whatever the next evolution is, it's okay. Because everything we've already done is, is shown that we've been successful and provided in a place that was never provided in the first place. So there it is. Yeah. We're just, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing.
0: <laughs> if we all went, if you went, if high fives went, if all the things we built went today or tomorrow, there was value in what was already provided in that connection yeah. with each other. Yeah. Gosh, thank you, Roy Tuscany. <laughs> you all heard it here. Uh, this fearless. Um, Advocate who is also a prophet in his own way. Thank you, Roy. You're
1: so sweet. I appreciate
0: you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you too. Take care. Roy's creation of the High Fives Nonprofit Foundation stands as a testament to his selfless determination to help others. By paying it forward, he has empowered hundreds of catastrophically injured athletes to rediscover their passion and provided them with a community of athletic support, embracing the spirit of community and support he experienced firsthand during his own trauma healing process. Roy's superpower is his unwavering positive attitude when confronted with challenges. Roy embodies the indomitable spirit that has emerged from his own journey of trauma integration, which provides a living example to all of us, not to fight obstacles, but to embrace them as opportunities. We leave this episode inspired by his remarkable journey and the valuable lessons he lives every day. High five, Roy. Don't forget to subscribe to Blink of an Eye podcast for future episodes featuring wise experts on trauma healing and remarkable individuals living with spinal cord injury in the Dear Louise series. Until next time, keep welcoming new insights and noticing shifts in your life. Embracing the connection between awareness, integration, and feeling alive and connected. Begin again and again. Sending love Life can change in the blink of an eye.
3: You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.